You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a growing network of people who believe the center of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and that learning to take love seriously is vital for how we practice discipleship, mission, and leadership. The Gravity Leadership Podcast explores, in practical ways, how to root our lives and our leadership in this love that holds all of us and everything together. You know, I gave up sweets for Lent, mm-hmm. and um, I'm eating dried fruit. I don't think that. I don't I think the, that. Counts. I had the same question the other night because I I've done the same thing. I've given up sweets and alcohol for Lent, and I uh, the other evening I was uh, there was some uh, granola, mm-hmm. and I was just going to grab a handful of granola, but it had little chocolate chunks in it. Oh no, that's like, definitely oh, sweets. That's definitely is sweets. that sweets? You yep, know, that's definitely sweets. And then I had the same thought about can I have a like a a protein bar if it's got a lot of figs in it. Anyway. No, not for me. I can't yeah. do anything chocolate. I think mm-hmm. alcohol is much easier. You know, it's pretty like clearly cut and dried. Yeah, what what is uh, alcohol and what's yeah, not? Yeah, I mean clearly, yeah. like bourbon, wine, or off limits. Bud Light, you can have as many of those as you want. <laughs> That's not alcohol. There's no alcohol in it. <laughs> that was a. I was listening to an interview. I uh, don't ask me why, but an interview with Post Malone. Uh, oh, yeah. you know the guy with the, all the face tattoos. Yeah, and it was at a radio, and he was drinking a Bud Light. In like at ten a.m. Yeah. in the radio interview, uh-huh. and they were giving him a hard time about it, uh-huh. and he kept saying. It's Bud Light. Yeah. And I, kept, and I kept thinking, that sounds exactly like something an alcoholic would say. <laughs> right. It's not real alcohol. It's not even alcohol. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so speaking of sweets, get ready for some ear candy. Mm-hmm. We've got Preston Sprinkle yeah. today. He has written a number of books on nonviolence, and yeah. he's written a book, the book Erasing Hell with Francis Chan. Mm-hmm. Um, he's basically written books on anything that would get you in a conversational mess at like a holiday party with family. <laughs> yeah, he does. Nonviolence, right. and, and then... Uh, sexuality, and he well, just keeps going. Well, yeah. he started a center for faith and sexuality, and we talked to him today about how to navigate mm-hmm. the complex emerging nature of the uh, accumulation, of the proliferation of sexual identities, Yeah, you know? And yeah. uh, I think Preston has done a pretty good job of navigating a traditional kind of sexual ethic, but mm-hmm. in a way that goes beyond just throwing a policy or a statement on your website, yeah, and then just parroting sort of yeah. policies or or mm-hmm. principles at people. Yeah. So we ask him about a number of pastoral situations, a number of leadership questions we have, and yeah. then and then I just encourage listeners to check out his resources that we mentioned towards the end of the podcast because mm-hmm. I think. 
uh, at least in my experience, we have a lot of work to do to become more adept and equipped at... Uh, yeah, at fluent, just being able to actually yeah. talk uh, with people who are, yeah, wrestling with all of these things today yeah. in our culture. So... It's important. So, uh, yes, uh, looking forward to that Should uh, we get interview. right to that? Um, I just wanted to say that if you are in the vicinity of... Um, if you're in the vicinity of uh, Holland, Michigan, this weekend, we're doing an Enneagram Transformation Workshop. That's awesome. Yeah. So we'll put a link in the show notes. But if you're around, uh, I'd love to see you. Uh, I'd love to meet you. I'm going to be up there for that. Fantastic. Um, at Victory Point Ministries. So check it out in the show notes. And here is Preston. Get ready. Preston Sprinkle, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on, you guys. Yep, Preston is a doctor, Dr. Preston Sprinkle. Dr. Preston Sprinkle. He's written a number of books. Um, he's written a book with Francis Chan on hell. He's written some books on homosexuality and a book for uh, gay teens. And he's a professor, speaker, author, but most recently, he is the president and founder of the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. That's right. We're in the middle of our deconstruction mm -hmm. without destroying your face po podcast, and we want to devote an entire episode to uh, the non-controversial issue <laughs> of sexuality and gender. Yes. Preston, is there anything I left out that you do that's important for us to know? Uh, I love snowboarding. I just snowboarded all weekend, if that's important. Uh, so I'm really <laughs> sore. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's awesome. Do you do that That's with your fun. family or just by yourself? Uh, my whole family. We they all ski and I snowboard. I move into. I'm from California, so I, I just love to surf more than anything. So I moved here. Uh, it was probably the hardest thing to give up. So I took up snowboarding when I moved to Idaho. So yeah. Yes. Well. <laughs> well. Well done. Yeah, yeah. Well done. That's a good substitute. Um, that was part so of my I had to deconstruct surfing and reconstruct. Deconstruct it. surfing <laughs> is a way of life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're snow surfing now. It's a lot there of fun. You go. Um, <laughs> Preston, I want to get into your story a bit. I, I don't know if, I don't know if we've ever chatted about this. You and I've chatted online on Twitter and stuff, but, um, we have a mutual friend that taught, taught with you at eternal eternity Bible college, um, a guy named John Marshall. And he yeah. was, he was the one who can, he's one who mentioned you to me. Cause I was talking about, uh, Tom Wright and, um, I don't, I've never heard of this new perspective. You know, this is 10 years ago. And he was like, well, my friend Preston actually studied yeah. Tom Wright uh, in, in England for his PhD, and, and you should really read his uh, dissertation. Yeah. So uh, at the time, at the time, he, was, uh, he thought you knew a lot about Tom Wright that yeah. uh, I needed to know. So that's wow. how I first came to hear your name. Um, t you, tell us a little bit about yourself. You are the president of this uh, Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. How did you find yourself doing that? Yeah. Um, gosh, where to start? Well, I, um, I guess it would stem back all the way to my sort of transition out of what I would call just strict academia. So but by nature, well, maybe not by nature, by nature, I, I would love to be snowboarding, you know, professionally. <laughs> <laughs> but but, you know, in terms of my academic Christian journey, I really fell in love with academics. And I, I say that because I'm not naturally wired that way. I, I didn't read a book until I was 17 years old. I hated to study, huh. but really? when I got saved at 19, 
um, just absolutely fell in love with the academic side of Christianity and not, not at the expense of the practical side. This is something that has just drove, has driven me crazy in, in my um, 15, <laughs> 25, gosh, am I that old? 25 years as a Christian is this false dichotomy between deep thinking and practically living it out. Like to me, Amen. if you truly want to get closer to Jesus, then you dive deeper into his word and deeper into complex things. So this whole like dichotomy between the heart and the mind that seems to pervade evangelicalism, I just mm -hmm. never um, had much time for. So, so I pursued the academic route really hardcore for 10 plus years. Um, and again, so that, you know, I could help the church, but I, I did get tired of living just in that academic conceptual world and really yeah. fell in love with this in-between space, abridging a gap between the academy and the church. Now, that was about 10 years ago. Um, and in the book that I wrote with Francis Chan that you mentioned, uh, Race in Hell, was kind of my first attempt at doing that, digging into hmm. you know, the complexity of what the New Testament says about hell in its first century Jewish context. Um, but doing so in a very, you know, writing a book in a very kind of bloggy, casual, colloquial way, and yet having lots of footnotes and citing, you know, the first century book of one Enoch and Jubilees and doing so in a, in a <laughs> colorful way, if I can, you know, at least I attempted that. So I, I really fell in yeah. love with that. So long story short, I, you know, have written, uh, you know, a book on hell, a book on nonviolence and other other things that were somewhat controversial. So several years ago, maybe about eight years ago, uh, people encouraged me to explore what the Bible says about homosexuality. Mm -hmm. And I thought it would be the easiest book in the world to write. You know, you just Google <laughs> the verses that say it's sin. Um, bada bing, bada boom, you know, quote Romans, go. quote Jesus, because I'm sure, I'm sure Jesus talks about it everywhere, you know? Yes. Um, yeah. And long story short, I, I you know, I, when I, once I started to dive into the academic side of this conversation, I realized it's way more complex than than I thought. Mm -hmm. um, yes. And so it actually sent me down a a long, arduous journey into the the biblical side of this conversation. And I, yet, I kept seeing. Well, so let me say this: This is something I often say that there is no debate about what the Bible says about same-sex sexual relationships. There's no debate. There is a massive debate about what the Bible means by what it says and how to apply yes. what it means to today. So, you know, we, we learn in Bible college, you know, observation, application, mm -hmm. or observation, interpretation, application. Those are the right. broad brush steps to understand what the Bible says. And, and I kept seeing so many, quote-unquote, conservative evangelicals, you know, um, thinking that, the, the discussion begins and ends with observation. So I still see people today, they'll, they'll quote Romans one as if like, aha, no one's read Romans one before <laughs> period. Yeah. And then, you know, therefore go to hell. They'll say they'll, they'll quote it at me. You know, I, I did my PhD. Oh, really? I did my PhD dissertation on Romans one. I hold to a traditional theology of marriage and I still get people on social media. They'll quote Romans one. Aha. Done. <laughs> you know, God bless like, social media. How far is your head up? Somewhere, you know, I, I yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there is that kind of like theological ignorance, and and I and I don't mean that in a, in 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 a um condescending way. I mean it in the the, the literal sense. Like there's just a lot of right. lack of knowledge about the complexity yeah. of this conversation. And I and I say complexity and again. Let me just say this one more time. Like I firmly and passionately hold to a traditional view of marriage. Mm -hmm, um, sure. 
And yet I firmly and passionately believe that many Christians know what they believe but not why they believe it. And they would get schooled by most 21-year-old affirming Christians if they're on stage trying to defend why they believe what they believe about what the Bible says about marriage. And that's a problem. Like we have gotten so good about signing statements or declaring what we believe, but sometimes we're scared to dig into why we, why we believe it. Anyway, I'm getting way off track here. So no, 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 no. That's, that's great. (laughs) Um, I, I I was struck by, you know, the observation interpretation application. Um, and, and some people, you said some people think that all they need is observation. Uh, but I wonder too, if another way of saying that is that they, they assume that because they've observed it, they, they basically assume the interpretation and the application are obvious because right. they haven't really examined what they've done in those realms. Like they are interpreting, they are applying, but they're assuming that that should be self-evident and obvious to everyone as to how to do this. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like your work is basically saying, no, back up. It's not obvious. It needs to be thought about. It needs to be worked out before you can yeah. come to a conclusion that makes any sense. Yeah, and there there is a, a tension here, right? Because we do believe that there is clarity or, you know, theologians call it the perspicuity of scripture. Right. If sure. It's something that's God wants to reveal to us. He didn't hide it behind a rock. And, and, and that's true. But at the same time, um, while I do believe the Bible contains absolute truth, we are fallible interpreters with loads of yes. baggage bias. And they're, they're, that's that, that rub, that tension. And, and you mentioned Tom Wright. I think nobody explains this better than Tom Wright where we have to be honest with our baggage, be very aware of what lenses we have when, when we're interpreting the Bible and mm-hmm. understand that that interpretation could be fallible while acknowledging that what we're, we are interpreting is absolute truth. And I think some people right. can swing that pendulum one far in either direction. They, they, they're so committed to absolute truth that they forget that they're fallible interpreters or they emphasize that they're fallible interpreters. Therefore, it's just kind of like, uh, you know, you can kind of can anything goes. Whatever you want to find yeah. in this text is fine. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. So you you jump into Romans one for your dissertation, and uh, having having uh, brought everybody together to sing Kumbaya over hell and nonviolence, you decided to jump into. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, your book on nonviolence is incredible. Um, it actually you. was part of my shift away from. Uh, oh wow. Another sort of, convert. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it was a me, long... Me too. It was, was really helpful for I was me. A long, it was a long journey for me. Violence dies hard in my heart. It's yeah. just so hard to leave. Yeah. Um, but I, so you didn't actually change uh, like camps, right? You didn't go from non-affirming to affirming. But my yeah. guess is you made some discoveries or had some surprises yeah. or things that you didn't anticipate. Would you name a few of those for us? Like what... Sure did you find and why was that significant for you? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, the, the most important discovery in my journey, um, and, and this is almost embarrassing to admit. Okay. Um, but I, I grew up like many evangelicals in a, in a very kind of, I, I call it like a mildly homophobic environment. You don't <laughs> know why, but you're just trained to, you're supposed to be disgusted and hate gay people. Right. Yeah, and I actually naturally didn't. And I felt guilty that I didn't. This is, this is, <laughs> Wow. Like I would, I would meet a gay person or whatever. I'd be, you know, I remember waiting tables at several restaurants, you know, and half the servers are gay, you know, and, and I, I really enjoyed hanging out with them. I'd go home feeling guilty. Like, Oh, I'm supposed to not like this person, you know, like, and I'm like, (laughs) where, why, how, what is that? You know? So, um, but all that to say, I, I didn't know, like I didn't have deep friendships with a lot of LGBT people when I started writing this book. 
long story short, I uh, tried to fix that. I tried to go out and, and, and actually get to know, genuinely get to know LGBT people simply to get to know their, another human, hear their story, understand the journey, love them, period. That's it. And I, the most common response I got back was, I've never met a Christian that was kind to me. Well, at first they didn't believe me. They're like, yeah, right. You're a Christian. You just want to hear my story. What's your real angle, you know? (laughs) Um, And they were scared. They they weren't like, oh, I don't like Christians or I hate your sermons or your truth. They were like, like, so I could see them sometimes getting nervous. Like, well, what's this Christian going to do to me? And and, and I see that. And and after hearing a lot of stories, I I realized there's so much um, like trauma built up from Mm. really, really bad church experiences, not because they heard the truth and they're like, no, you know, I'm I'm going (laughs) to write my truth. Most of the pain and trauma came from not hearing a gracious presentation of theological truth, but from encountering really, I mean, I mean, uh, uh, horrible Christians, but encountering horrible experiences in the church, sometimes unintentionally, Mm. sometimes Christians will do things unintentionally that, that produce a lot of shame and, and, and pain and, and heartache, but sometimes they do it intentionally. And some stories I've heard, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't even wrap my mind around Mm. going through such a spiritually traumatic experience as a teenager in the church. And then I'll go on my Facebook page and see people quoting Romans one wrong, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's such a gap here that needs to yeah. be bridged relationally, theologically, biblically. And so that's, that's been the space I've been living in for the last seven, eight years. Hmm. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so then the research came uh, and you put all that together into your book, people to be loved. Is that right? Yeah, that's um that came out in 2015 and that traces my journey in this conversation, it's about 70% kind of wrestling with the text of scripture, about 30% just trying to put a good dose of relationships and, and answering some pastoral mm-hmm. questions as well. Yeah. So so then we're living in this new milieu now. Um, you know, I grew up, uh, for instance, I grew up and I used the words gender and sex interchangeably, mm-hmm. right? When we oh, were kids. Most people do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, most people still do. Yeah. yeah. And I think that... Um, I think there's a lot of trepidation and fear to even enter into gender sexuality conversations for Christians because we've just latched onto these talking points, right? Whether it's mm-hmm. Romans one, Romans one, or Genesis, yeah. you know, Genesis one, or wh- whatever it is. Um, could you maybe kind of just throw out some questions that you press in, and sure. you can just fire back? Like, so why why are are the words sex and gender? How are they not referring to the same thing anymore? That's a great question, and uh, th- this it, I'm so glad you asked that question because in the gender conversation, in the T of the LGBT acronym, there's so much confusion and misunderstanding, and, and a lot of it boils down to people using sex and gender in so many different ways. So yeah, um, up until the late 60s, early 70s, sex and gender were basically synonyms. Um, but now most people who engage this conversation make a distinction between sex and gender, sex being our biological sex. Um, humans are sexually dimorphic. We reproduce sexually when a male impregnates a female. Um, this is just a, you know, earth is round and not flat scientific fact. 
If you could I, take that slow, this is the first time Ben's heard about any of this. Okay. Is, so. it, is this what they call the birds and the bees? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why did my parents teach me this? Yeah. So, I've got so four that, kids. I've been wondering where these kids came from. Well, okay. That explains it. The light comes this up. This explains it. This is. I'm going to text my wife. Hold on. <laughs> Sorry. Go, go ahead. Go, go ahead, Preston. And so, it, but it's funny that 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 it, this does. This is so basic, and yet. What I just said is actually controversial in some circles. Right. That is extreme, sure. you know. Um, but ninety nine point ninety nine percent of humans are clearly either male or female. That's just a biological fact. But that's mm-hmm. sex. Now, gender has to do with both your psychological um, reaction or response to your biological sex, whether you resonate with it or you very much don't. So your, your psychological response and your uh, social kind of response, your social manifestation of yeah. your maleness or femaleness or what some people call just masculinity and femininity, which are partly social constructs, um, pink and blue. Um, right. You know, that is by definition a social construct. When you think boys, you think blue. When you think girls, you think pink. Well, 100 years ago, it was the opposite. Yeah. Yep pink was seen as clearly the more masculine color being a strong color and, and blue being a weak color as a feminine color a hundred years ago. That is mm-hmm. by definition a social construct of the, the fact that you would dress your son in blue and not pink, or, you know, most of us would at least, um, mm-hmm. that is a, so that is you're, you're absorbing how society has defined masculinity and femininity. Um, yeah. so that, so the, all that, so all, all the psychological and social side of, being or responding to maleness and femaleness is, is would be on the category of gender, whereas sex has to do simply with the biological reality that you are either male or female, or there's a small percentage of people that might have an intersex condition or differences of sexual sex development, um, which is a you know where somebody might uh, inhabit a blend of both male and female biological components. Yes. Okay. So this is good. So then how does this play out then if I have a, a transgender person come to my church? Um, how does this play out then with the, with the word sex and gender? Could you like just make a scenario up and talk us through what that would, how we would, how we would identify that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're asking great questions that I'm, I'm every single, everything I'm saying has so much behind it that needs to be dug mm-hmm. into. But for the sake of time, I'll, I'll try to be brief. Um, I mean, uh, yeah. M- m- even the term transgender or trans is so broad and flexible that um, as one of my psychologist friends says, you know, if you've met one transgender person, you've met one transgender person and (laughs) how, you know, their experience, their identity, their beliefs about who they are might differ radically from another Mm -hmm. transgender person. So uh, if, if, you know, you said, if a transgender person comes to my church, my, my first, relational approach is going to really get to know what they even mean by that identity or experience. Um, even within, and there's so much debate just within the trans community. So on the one side, let me give you kind of two ends of the spectrum, all variations in between. And this is all within the trans population, you know, group uh, community Mm. on the one end, some trans people who prefer the term transsexual, I'll, I'll leave it aside. Why, you know, they say, the, the real transgender people are those who have a, a scientific, a medical diagnosis of gender dysphoria. It's a severe um, psychological condition that, that is with them for life. 
And mm. that if unless you have that severe innate never changing psychological condition, then you're not really trans. That's the one side that they emphasize the huh. medical diagnosis. Okay. okay. On the other side, there is what would be called the self identification kind of crowd. Um, okay. You are who you say you are. If you say uh, you're trans, then you're trans. You, you don't okay. need, you know, the medical gatekeepers, you know, uh, the, the okay. cisgender white male privileged medical gatekeepers to determine yes. who you are. You determine who you are. Okay. Um, okay. I mean, and I've got friends on both sides of this. Um, and, and then there's variations all in, in between and so much politicalization. Yeah. The whole thing is just a massive hot mess. And what makes this conversation to my mind interesting is when it comes to, for instance, same sex marriage, it's kind of a left, right, conservative, liberal, more mm -hmm. or less divide on the political landscape, at least, right? I mean, if you're mm -hmm. if you're against same-sex marriage, you're probably not going to be a Democrat or be theologically liberal. Like, it just kind of yeah. it's very easy to compartmentalize these. Yeah, when it yeah. comes to the trans conversation, there is no. I mean, there are um, volatile conversations happening for those who would be on the far left or at least on the liberal category of, you know, radical feminists who are lesbians are the most vitriolic opponents yeah. of a, of the trans activist ide ideology and all of them hate conservatives, you know? So, <laughs> um, so this yeah. one, the, the, the trans or the transgender or gender sex conversation slash debate, it, it makes, you cannot just simply, Oh, this is my tribe. Oh, I'm, Oh, I'm affirming yeah. or I'm not affirming. No, no, you, you don't get to do that. You actually have to think through the, the scientific theological complexity yeah. of this conversation. There's there's no tribe. You can just say, oh, this is mm. this is my tribe. Um, this is why the, the whole phrase yeah. LGBT affirming is not it's it's. Uh, I, I want to say this in a non condescending way. Help me out here. Um, well, in a sense, it's kind of nonsensical. Right. Um, because, I, you know, I. <laughs> Because there's debate yeah, I, I, in, betw in between all those letters. Well, yeah. it, it, we all know what LGB affirming means. You affirm same-sex marriage or whatever, but you mm -hmm. can be straight and trans. You can be a, a, a politically conservative and theologically conservative and be trans. You can be liberal. You can be trans. You can be – there's there's so much variation. Mm -hmm. You know, I ask some of my friends, they say, you know, I'll, I'll say, are you LGBT affirming or or are you a feminist? They're like, well, I'm both. I'm like, Ooh, well, then you're not aware of the massive – you know, mm. conversation that's yeah. going on between feminists and, and trans yeah, activists. So. One of the, I don't know if you, have you read Galileo's middle finger by Alice yeah, Drager? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what you're describing Highly is, recommend is that book. Yeah. Yeah. She gets caught up in that and yeah. realizes that there's these factions within actually it's, it's, it's mostly about the trans community in that book about how they just are, are warring mm. with yeah. each other. And you know, I, I'm, I'm reading this and I'm just like, I had no idea. So, yeah. It's like a world you didn't know about yeah, yeah. fascinating yeah. so i i mean i'm one of the things i'm hearing you say just from a practical standpoint if i'm a pastor and i'm trying to engage this is not, not just as an issue to try to figure out you know what yeah. we're going to put on our website you know for our church but how to engage relationally with somebody you know who may come to my church and so i'm hearing you say um if they're if they say that they're trans like that ask could some, mean a whole ask some questions right right <laughs> yes. so that could mean a whole host of things and so the the approach and this this is probably true of anybody really um but just the the approach should be the the approach that you took when you originally wrote your, your book which is just listen to them <laughs> ask them questions what do you mean by that 
I've never heard of that. I don't know much about this. Can you tell me about, you know what I mean? Like that's such a Christ-like first move, I think, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and especially, I mean, this is true of any, any time somebody who inhabits a majority, um, uh, as part of the majority population, whether, whether yeah. you're, you're white or you're non-trans or you're straight or whatever, like, like uh, whatever, whatever, whenever somebody in the majority is trying to engage somebody who has a minority experience or identity, we need to humble ourselves, be, take on a posture of learning, of listening, of humility, and understand That's that really the, the, the minority, the person in the minority population, and in this case, let's say a trans identified person, already um, has, has probably had a lot of pain mm -hmm. from interacting with people who inhabit uh, the majority population, uh, if yeah. that makes sense. So I, I just, totally. I can't. We need to go out of our way to um, take the posture of, of learning and listening, knowing that there's there might be a good deal of trauma or at least bad experiences with people like me. Like I, I embody yep. as a white, straight, non-trans male. Gosh, I embody, um, even if I've never done anything, I embody probably a lot of traumatic experiences that somebody yeah. in a minority yeah. population has had. And, and just to be aware of that. Doesn't mean you have to come and, you know, sobbing mess, apologizing for being white. I'm not saying that at all. I think that can be wrongheaded, but just being aware that we need to take a humble posture of listening and learning so that we can yeah. understand and love the person better. This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 10-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love and bring lasting transformation to their culture. In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you so you can participate more fully in God's life and mission and open up space for those around you to do so too. We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com slash academy. I'm going to throw a couple more like pastoral situations at you. Yeah. Um, what do you do with pronouns? This is a big deal now, right? Like yeah. uh, people, uh, you, you'll see on Twitter, people have their, their preferred pronouns in their Twitter mm -hmm. byline. They'll put it on name tags at events. Yeah, and, like and most of that's, I think, yeah. some of that is for solidarity perhaps with people that want to clarify their pronouns. But I've seen two articles in the last week from Christians mm -hmm. who take different sides on this. Uh, one is... Uh, uh, to to use preferred pronouns for somebody is to capitulate and sort of endorse whatever, however they're living. Mm -hmm. And the other is it's an act of hospitality uh -huh. to hear the pronouns that they prefer and to use those. Mm -hmm. uh, do you have clarity on that for us? How do you discern and see that? Uh, are you? Ref yeah. So you use the phrase hospitality. I'm 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 pretty sure. Um, Greg Coles, who who writes for our organization, the Center yes. for Sexuality and Gender, he he wrote our paper on pronoun usage, and I think he coined the term pronoun hospitality. That seems to be catch, oh. catching on. Um, and uh, who's um, maybe that's what I read online. Well, JD <laughs> Greer, uh, JD Greer, the president of the SBC, um, referred to that paper and and used and used that phrase pronoun hospitality. Oh. 
Um, <laughs> so I do take that view. Now, let me I'll, look. I think both sides make good arguments. Hmm. Um, I do lean, not lean to, I, I, I do lean heavily towards, in most cases, um, using somebody's pronouns and for sure their preferred name. And then let me give may, maybe the a possibility of um, cases where, where that maybe wouldn't be helpful. But I understand that, that you know, the argument that, well, you're, you're reinforcing a false and destructive ideology that the person is absorbing. I, 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 I want to, I want to really truly listen to that argument. I think, I think it, there's something there. I just don't know if refusing to use a pronoun is the best way to help that person to see that the mm. ideology is destructive. I've never met a trans person who um, would love to continue to engage in you in relationship. If you refuse to use the pronoun, <laughs> right. like if you want to, or to put it more cynically, if you want to end the relationship immediately, like you just you just want nothing to do with this trans person, then just yeah. refuse to use user pronouns. It's just yeah. slam the door shut, boom. Yeah, just you from can a go practical standpoint, there. right? Like from a practical standpoint, it's like, yeah, I I I doubt that's true. That somebody would be like, oh, you're refusing to use my preferred pronouns. You must believe something really strongly. Please tell me more. Yeah, totally, no, totally. Yeah, yeah. So I, I yeah. there. Um, and there is this scriptural trajectory of God meeting us where we're at and calling yes. us to a body that that rhythm of incarnation um, of, of meeting someone where they're at so that you can engage them on a relationship, a relational level and hopefully walk with them to where God wants them and, and you to be. Mm. Now, um, my one cap. So a couple. Well, um, I, I do think as a long term discipleship goal for a Christian, a Christ follower, a long-term goal might include fully identifying with your biological sex. Uh, I do think that our bodies are not just um, uh, a peripheral part of our identity that God has given to us. I think the Judeo-Christian view of human nature elevates the body. Our sexed bodies, I think, are meaningful. And I think part of our identity, whether we chose that identity or not. So, so I, I, I think it's healthy and good to res to, 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 again, it might be a long term, might, might take 80 years. I don't know, but I like, like to, to try to fully identify with your biological sex, which might include using pronouns that resonate with that. Um, but that's a long-term discipleship goal for somebody who's a Christ follower. Um, I, but on the flip side, let me say this. I, I think it's wrong to say that, um, refusing to use someone's pronouns are um, are hate speech. I, I I don't think that's or violence, like like verbal violence. Because um, what do you do if somebody's trying to commit violence on you through hate speech? Well, you respond with violence. Hmm. And this is just a, this is going to be a mess if we label lack of you know refusing to use pronouns hate speech, or mm -hmm. as in, you know Bill sixteen up in Canada saying it's illegal. Uh, you right. can get. Find if you don't use someone's pronouns. I think that I think that's that's not that's going to lead down to a path, a societal path that I don't think is. We've done we've gone down that kind of fascist, <laughs> Marxist kind of path before in societies, and it almost always, if not always, leads in bloodshed yeah. and millions of people getting killed. Yeah, so pressure. Sure. Um, yeah. I, I so I don't want to go that far. I think, but on a relational pastoral mm. level, um, meet someone where where they're at and and use the pronouns that they prefer. Yeah, that's good. Uh, can I throw another one at you? 
Sure. <laughs> um, so I'm a I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor, local church, and um, a family shows up. Uh, it's a same sex couple <clears throat> who is married, and they have three kids. Um, and they're asking me if they can participate in the life of our church. Yeah. Now, um, here's this, this is why I'm asking this, Preston, just to set this up. Like. <sighs> I think I think some people would say, well, um, their relationship is sin, and they need to end that relationship in order to grow closer to God's heart and design for their bodies and their sexuality. Uh, but then you've got these kids, right? Who no one, no Christian would argue uh, having parents that are divorced is better than uh, having parents that are together. Like, how do you navigate that pastorally when you're dealing with not with issues and policies and statements, but you're dealing with like you know Jim and Bob? Mm-hmm. who come to your church with three kids how do, you do with that yeah i get this question a lot man and and mm-hmm. um <laughs> let me first of all say i don't think there is a clear-cut black and white here's the right answer here's the wrong answer to yeah. the situation yeah what you would you the way you ended so i think there's various responses that i think i can say you know what as long as you're bathing this in prayer, you're honoring and dignifying, say Jim and Bob or whoever we're talking about, mm-hmm. um, and, and you're wrestling with the complexity of this conversation, not just giving a knee-jerk kind of one-size-fits-all. If, if you're doing that and walking with them and, and truly seeking the Lord and, and, and how to move forward in this, I think there's a, a few different faithful responses. Um, but what you, the way you ended the, the question is right on. Like, who are Jim and Bob? <laughs> what? what's been their previous experience in the church? What, what, what's their awareness of even, let's just say you're, you know, obviously you're coming from the perspective of a non-affirming, I don't like that phrase, a, a, a church of lead understanding of marriage, marriage yeah, yeah. whatever. Um, uh, but, but, but are you giving a lot of gracious space to, and humility to wrestle with them through this conversation? It may take a couple of years or really, in prayer and relationship to, to know what the best way to proceed forward mm. and, and have conversations with Jim and Bob, honestly admitting like, Hey, here's, here's some stuff that I'm really wrestling with. And, yes. and we'd love to hear your thoughts on that. You know, take, if you take a posture of hum, genuine humility and love, like I, Jim and Bob, I love you guys. Um, I want to learn from you. This is not easy. I'm wrestling with this and whatever we end up as a church ha- having to decide with you, um, just know, like, I, if you need anything, I'm mm-hmm. I, my I open door. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. you need rent payment, you need someone to watch your kids, whatever. Like, we will be here relationally for you as a church, even if even if um, if we have to make some difficult policy decisions. Um, I think your you know your question it a lot of it has to do with the policy of the church. Hmm. Right. What does it mean to like? What is the the criteria? If I can, I don't like that phrase, but um, you know, the standard of what. What's the criteria for serving? Like, yeah, right. Do you, do you allow? Because if you're not going to let Jim and Bob serve at your church, then don't let your drummer who's sleeping with his girlfriend or, serve at your or, church. Or you know, right. I've got yeah, yeah. you know, somebody asked me if I'm affirming, and, and I'm like, I don't even affirm most of the heterosexual relationships in my church. <laughs> like, I would, I right. wouldn't. There's no like rubber stamp where I'm you're not, like, you guys are killing it, 100. If if I had a, to grow. if I had a heterosexual <laughs> couple come to me and say, hey, um, we just have to know right up front, will you affirm our marriage? <laughs> I'm going to say, yeah. what do you mean? I, I don't affirm most marriages. Cause yeah. what are you talking about? <laughs> like, I don't affirm my own marriage. I'm trying to work <laughs> some stuff out with my wife right now. Um, yeah. So, 
it just gets complicated too, Preston. I, I want to be consistently, you know, you. I want to. I want to hear from you in a bit about your curriculum, Grace and Truth. That I think is really helpful yeah. for churches and church leaders. Mm-hmm. But I, I want to be. I want to be full of grace and truth in the sense that. Um, whatever is good and beautiful about Jim and Bob's relationship, like I, I want to yeah. affirm that, like whatever yes. friendship, commitment, fidelity, like the things that God smiles on, I want to smile on. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. At the same time, um, I don't want to create a standard for Jim and Bob that I'm not willing to use for every relationship yeah. in my church. Right. Right. So how do we discern then what's, mm. what's the modicum of faithfulness that's requisite yeah. for participation in the body? Yeah. I just feel like, man, I know how to like black and white rule it, but walking in that discerning place. Yeah. yeah. It's challenging for everybody. If you, if you commit and to here's doing what it. I would want with Jim and Bob and like, you know, uh, scenarios that are akin to that is my main goal as a pastor with anybody straight, gay, bi, fluid, whatever. I want people to have a genuine earth shattering, uncomfortable yet comforting encounter with the risen Lord. Hmm. Everything else is secondary. Yes. Like for yeah. me, I, I don't, this, this is more, this deals more with maybe ecclesiology than it does with sexuality. Like I, hmm. my goal is hmm. not to shoehorn them into the church. I, I could really care less. Uh, you know, this is going to sound maybe more reformed than I mean it, but I mean, <laughs> <I'm not, laughs> your three reformed listeners are like, go for it, dude. Yeah. Finally, more finally, more, more. Yeah. The rest of them are like shivering, you know, and <laughs> oh no, yeah. where is this podcast? Speaking going? of trauma, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, <laughs> trigger warning. Preston no, is about like, to get I, reformed. You know, yeah. I, I think sometimes we, we care more about somebody coming and staying at our church and finding community and all this than we do about making sure everybody ha- has that uncomfortable disruptive encounter with the risen Lord because everything else is going to be second. Mm. The, all, all of these really tough ecclesiological questions, they flow from yes. some encounter with Jesus. If we try to reverse that around, uh, then, then we're just going to be have, in, entering all kinds of ecclesiological messes yeah. down yeah. the road. So yeah. th- that's my number one that's concern really there. Um, so, but yeah, so, so let me give you a couple scenarios that churches have taken in this, in this case. Helpful. Number yeah. one, there's kind of the more, the more, I guess, more strict approach hmm. would, would say this marriage by definition is a union between two people of different biological sexes. Therefore, Jim and Bob are not married in the eyes of God. They are, if you want to put a strict theological, and this is like, I understand some of you listening or maybe, maybe this is super triggering just to even hear this, but let me just, I'm just, all I'm trying to do is explain the logic of yeah. one view that would stem from a traditional view of marriage. Okay. Mm-hmm, so just mm-hmm. hang in there or, or maybe hit fast forward if you, if this is just too much, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, a, 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 somebody who believes in a traditional view of marriage is going to say they're, they're not actually married what they are. They are in a relationship and there's lots of virtues that are surrounding that relationship, but they are in a sexually immoral relationship. Mm. So we would say maintain, uh, you know, we can both parent this child. You can maintain a robust friendship or whatever. And it's going to be messy with like, you know, you're still their dad and dad and the kid, that's all the kids know. And we don't want to, damage that so don't break up in the cat you know categorically but we do call you as faithfulness of to, as part of faithfulness and following jesus if you really have had that disruptive encounter with him 
to end the sexual relationship. Okay, that mm -hmm. would be one approach. Another approach would say, would say, well, look, if a divorced straight couple came to us, the divorce, remarried, divorce, remarried, divorce, remarried, and then they come to church, we would say, gosh, yeah, you violated loads of scriptural principles, but ah, it's done is done. Let's just, from here on out, we're going to call you to yeah. faithfulness. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that approach would be like the pastoral accommodation approach. This is an ideal. Um, if they were in our church and single and wanted to get married, we would say no. Mm -hmm. We would say that via, but they're coming to us as an already married or married by the state couple with kids. So we're going to live and let live. Um, and, and you can serve in whatever capacity, or some people might say, well, we can't have you in leadership, um, mm -hmm. because you're, you know, you're not living, um, according to the standard of the church. Um, and that would just be, you know, confusing for people. Somebody might draw the line there. Um, mm. so I, I mean, honestly, and there's a variation within these two, these perspectives. And, and I honestly can, I can find pros and cons with, with all of them. Mm -hmm. And I know stories, you know, some people say the, the, the strict, the strict approach is like, no way that's not going to, I've seen that work out where people are like, thank you for embodying God's truth. We have had that radical hmm. encounter with the risen Lord, and we will do whatever it takes to, to follow him because he is our greatest treasure a thousand times beyond our relationship. And I'm like, hmm. you know, well, my, I wish most straight couples would hear this. You yes. Know? Right. Um, so you don't know what God is doing in these mm. pe person's hearts until you actually, like you said, mm. uh, Matt, you know, get to know them on a relational level. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm struck by um, Tim Otto. Have you ever read his book? Um, yeah. I don't know what it's called off the top of my head. Orientation to love? Is that or what oriented, to, yeah. oriented to faith, yeah. oriented. I think is what it's called. Oriented. Anyway, um, one of the most striking things I remember from that book is something similar to what you're saying, where he, he said the, the, the main thing about Christians is not that we know what's true about sexuality. Like the main mm -hmm. thing about Christians is that we live by faith, you know, which yeah. is very similar to what you're saying. Like it, it's way more important to have an encounter with the risen Lord than it is to be right about an issue, you know what I mean? Or to be right in the way that I'm sort of uh, living morally. Like Christians aren't mora morality experts. They're people who have encountered the risen Lord and are following him. We live by faith. Mm -hmm. That's like the primary, it's, it's more rudimentary, sorry, more yeah. uh, radical, uh, deeper, right? More root-based than it is like how we work out our morality, uh, which yeah, is a second, great. feels like a secondary issue. Yeah. So, I, I mean, just to kind of recapitulate, what you're saying is essentially the same kind of thing. In humility, don't assume you know where this needs to end necessarily. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you may have policies yeah. in your church and that kind of thing that may prevent you from doing certain things. But don't assume you know what's best for Jim and Bob if they come to your church. Commit to walking with them and walking with Jesus yeah. and discerning with them what faithfulness might look like, right? Prioritize people over policies. Policies are important, but yeah. people are very diverse. And sometimes there's, they don't fit in, in a, these They don't neat fit into the policy. policy. Yeah. 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 Preston, as we wrap up, um, I mentioned the grace and truth resources. I, I just want to mm -hmm. give, if I'm up, if I'm listening and I want to begin to explore this in, a, in, in be better ways than sound bites and statements, mm -hmm. what, what are some resources that tell us about some resources you've developed that help lead churches and pastors through these questions and conversations? Yeah. Thank you for that. My, so my ministry, the center for faith, sexuality and gender has been around for almost three and a half years. And our goal is to resource pastors and leaders in the church in this conversation, both with the, the theological complexity and also the relational pastoral. So go to our website, centerforfaith.com. 
Um, and there's loads of resources. All the way, there's lots of free resources, papers you can download. There's also um, small group material, the Grace Truth curriculum. It's it's uh, there's two parts to it. Um, there's a first five weeks. If you only if you want to do like a small group study on sexuality and gender, then there's first the first five weeks. But we also added another five weeks, Grace Truth 2.0, which is uh, you know the next you know five weeks um, that you can engage this. There's videos that go along with it. There's questions. There's reading material. We also developed um, a a really co a comprehensive uh, online course called a Digital Leaders Forum. If you go to our website, it's I think it's front and center. Mm -hmm. um, and we just lowered the price. I think it's fifty bucks for about eight hours of content, uh, theological, relational, pastoral. Mm -hmm. Do tons of Q and A. We talk to LGBT Christians. We talk to pastors, and just try to get. We wanted to create like the most comprehensive e course in this conversation, specifically for Christians in some kind of leadership role. And then there's there's loads of other resources that you can check out on the website. Yeah. Well, I just want to hmm. give a thank you, Preston. Yeah. I think I think the church is always about thirty years behind the culture with whatever. <laughs> changes are happening and i feel like the work you've done is to really uh, help christians come up to speed with how to best inhabit the grace and truth of jesus with a rapidly changing culture mm -hmm. and 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 not even a monolithic culture but cultures rapidly changing cultures right. that we encounter and inhabit in surprising and unplanned ways so thank mm -hmm. you for your work. Thanks for your time today and for letting me uh, ping you with tons of questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, so people can connect with you at centerforfaith.com, also prestonsprinkle.com. Is that right? Yes. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Great. Yep. And I know you're on Twitter as well. We'll put that in the show notes. Uh, thanks a lot, Preston. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.